Thanks, Cameron. All right. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I am beyond excited. I, I trust that this will stop. <laughs> it's because I'm new, right? Um, I am beyond excited to be able to share uh, the word with you this morning. I, it's, it's something that is, is a privilege, and, 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 you know, and I'm nervous to do it because it's, it's, it's God's word. It's something that is special. It's an honor, and it's, and it's only by God's grace that I'm up here, and I'm, and I'm even going to attempt to do it, right? Because I'm not perfect, right? Like, you could spend a day with me, and you'll find out that I'm still in pro. I, I still have rough edges, I still have problems, I still have things that I'm working on, places where God is shaping me, right? And so, and I tell you all of that because the point of me being up here, anytime I'm talking with you, I'm praying with you, I'm, I'm sharing the word with you, I have one goal, and that is to point you to Christ, Amen. right? It's to point you to the cross, and that's, that's what I hope to do this morning, and, and, and the other reason I share that with you this morning is because I don't want to be fake. I don't want to have a put a mask up here. I don't want to be dishonest. I want to be authentic. And, and that's who we are as a church, right? We're an authentic community here. We're people who come as we are. And, and as I'm getting to know each and every single one of you, what the thing that is continuing to strike me, the thing that is continuing to just be shown over and over again is that you don't, if you're in this room, you didn't just walk through that door. Nobody is here on accident. The amount of stories uh, I'm hearing from you guys of how God has brought you here, whether you were expecting him to or not, and the work that he's doing in your life, do not for a second think that you're here on accident this morning. Right? And, and, and that is the DNA of who we are, is that we are people who are coming with our brokenness, with our baggage, and we're coming as we are to Christ and to each other. And that's a scary thing to do, right? It's scary to come and to say, like, this is who I am. Because can I, can I trust this community that's around me? Can I trust um, even that God wants me to come as I am, right? Because we can say that, come as you are to God. But like, is that, is that really the truth? Is that really what God wants? Is this really a safe place where I can come and be open and be honest and bring the rough things, bring the dark things of life? This, this sermon should probably come with a bit of an emotional advisory warning. Um, Actually, I should probably just come with an emotional advisory warning. Um, anytime there is an opportunity for me to talk about suffering and what God does in the darker and harder parts of life, I will, take, I, I, I will go out of my way to talk about it. Because I think it is so important. And I think as Christians, we have a gospel. We have good news that is so good that we need to engage with that. We need to not be afraid of the hard things because God is that good. Because Jesus truly does change everything. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to examine this. Is this true? Can we actually be who we are? Come forward. And that's what I want to talk about. Is this, a, is this truly God's invitation to us? And I want to look into the scripture. Because if we can look 
into the scripture and we can see an example of this. If we can see this modeled for us and God put, put messiness in the Bible and we can see our own lives reflected in it, it ought to give us confidence that we belong here. That God is inviting us here. So I want to take today and I want to look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Right? I want to look in the Psalms. And the Psalms is that part of the Bible, it's right smack dab in the middle. And it's uh, probably that, you know, that part of the Bible that worship leaders are known for quoting the most. Right? And so we have this kind of conception of the Psalms. And I want to talk about like a particular type of Psalm. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are a certain type of psalm. There's a number of psalms. There's like Thanksgiving psalms, praise psalms. But you know what the most common psalm is? There's more psalms of this type than any other psalm in the, in, in the psalm. And that's the lament psalm. It's the psalm where the psalmist is bringing forward and crying out and got to God in pain, is dealing with a struggle, is doubting, is wrestling with God. You would think, like, right, we would think because we think of the Psalms as praise, and they are praise in a way, but we would think that, you know, they're just these Psalms where just people are just singing worship songs or just praising. And we'll see that he is absolutely praising in this, but the most common type of Psalm is the Psalm where the Psalmer, the person who is writing, is lamenting, is crying out to God, who's wrestling with God in his pain and his struggle. More than any other psalm, that is what is found in the psalms. And so, we want to dig into that. And this is, this is the main point. This is the thing that I'm probably going to say more than anything else today, and I want to drill into your head because it's the, it's the primary thing I want to get across. And that is this, that when we lean into God with our pain, He brings about our joy and His glory. Right? Say that again because I'm going to say it ten more times. Right? When we lean into God, God is faithful to bring about our joy in His glory. And that's what I want to look at. I want to open this psalm, Psalm 42 and 43, and I want to see exactly how that is done. How is God going about and doing this transformation when we lean into Him with our pain? And now... I'm a visual person, right? I'm a visual thinker. When I, when I read something, I'm picturing the images of it, right? And so when I think of the Psalms, there's one thing that kind of pops into my head, and it's, it's, a, it's a calendar. My, my, I had a boss, and he had like this calendar on his wall, and in every single month, like he'd turn over the next month, and it was some beautiful picture of like a brook, and like woods, and like an eagle, and a deer, or something, and then there was always like a fancy script of the Psalms, like written down here at the bottom, you know, and so that's what comes into my mind when I think about the Psalms, and when we talk about the Psalms, so we sometimes think of them as like the thing that comes to my mind is like the motivational posters of the Christian life, right? Like we, we just kind of like take a picture, like a nice scenery picture, and we take, you know, like script font and put like, you know, some psalm verse there, right? And, and sometimes that imagery can keep us from actually seeing what this psalm is talking about because we have this kind of like picturesque picture in our head. But I want to take a moment and just call, out, call that out and just say, like, let's look at what is actually being said in this psalm. So we're gonna, gonna, I'm going to read the whole thing in its entirety. You can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen. Or you can even just close your eyes and just imagine, just picture what are the imageries, what are the things that are being said here. 
What is the psalmist feeling? What is he communicating to God? And so we're going to read Psalm 42 and 43, and you might be really afraid that I'm going to go really long because I'm doing two psalms. Um, I'm going to try not to. Um, but Psalm 42 and 43 are really just one psalm. They, at some point, they kind of got split up. Uh, but as we read it, you'll see that they just tie right into each other. So here we go. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast within me? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the lights of Hermon and the mounts of Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. And all of your waves and your breakers, they have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against this unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and who are wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's a pretty raw prayer, right? When we think about that, that, that is a person who is wrestling with himself. He is wrestling with God. And he's putting it all out there. Right? And so I want to, want to look at this. First, first, just some things just to kind of break the psalm down, because that's a big chunk, right? But as we kind of read it, we can see that the psalm breaks up into three pieces, right? First is that there's the first part where it's Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5 where he's talking about being distant from God, where God feels far away. And in, Psalm, uh, and in verses 6 through 11, where he talks about this overwhelmed feeling, feeling overwhelmed by doubt. And then in Psalm 43, he's talking about feeling misjudged. He's talking and he's coming to God, God, vindicate me. 
And I want to look at each of those three parts and I want to examine what, what is going on in the psalmist's heart. What is he wrestling with? What is that pain? And then I want to see how God is transforming him. How God is in it there with him. And, and, and we got to, we, we've got to first, we've got to look at that pain, right? Because that's the main point. When we lean into God with our pain, he brings about our joy in his glory. In order to do that, we have to first acknowledge the pain. We first have to talk about it. We have to bring it up. We have to acknowledge that it's in the room with us, that we carry it. And so let's see, what is this psalmist dealing with? In those first five verses, he's articulating, and he's talking about this feeling of distance, this feeling that God is far away. When we, that, the first verse says, as the deer pants for streams of water. I think sometimes, because we've all seen Disney, we think of like Bambi, right? And we think of like this deer, oh, it's all cute. But no, this is like a deer that's panting. Think of like a dog when it's like just panting, it's out of water. Like it's not that cute, it's just, right? Like this deer has been running. This deer is out of breath. This deer needs water, it needs rest. This is a deer that's running for its life. It says, that's how my soul thirsts. My soul feels like it has been running, like it is thirsting, like it needs a drink of fresh water. And, and the other thing that we learn about, and, and, and he, as he begins, he continues to talk about distance, right? Down in, um, down in verse 6, he says about, when he talks about the land of Jordan and the heights of Hermon and the mounts of Mizar, right? He's talking about a mountain, which was probably about the last mountain that you could be on, and you could still look back and see Jerusalem, this is as far as you could get from the place of the temple, the place where God dwelt, and still just barely see it in the distance. He's saying, that's how far I feel. I feel like I'm being carried over a mountain and I can't see where God is. That's the distance he feels. And, and the psalmist, the guy who is writing this, is a worship leader. He's a priest. He's someone who led the throng into worship He's the person who led the singing, right? And later on in the Psalms, he talks about playing and making worship with a lyre. And so if, if we can listen in on a prayer of a worship leader who is wrestling with God, who says, I feel distant from him, shouldn't that normalize this for us? Shouldn't this be an indicator that this is an experience that we will all experience at some point? This is something I'm particularly passionate about because we get this idea that being a Christian means I have to have a happy face on. I need to pull myself together that if I'm experiencing negative emotions of anger and doubt and depression and anxiety, that there's something wrong with me. That maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe there's something broken in me. But here we see a psalmist, there's no indicator that he's done anything wrong. He's just going through a hard time. And God feels distant. And I think this is such a common experience. There's so many people I have talked to who there's kind of a season, right? After you come and you, you accept Christ, you start following after him, you kind of experience what I call like the ooey-gooey's of faith. Right? This is the season where God feels close, where prayer feels alive, where reading the Bible is natural and you just want to be involved with church as much as possible. 
But then at some point, you hit like a wall where God starts to feel just a little bit distant. It's a little bit harder to persevere in prayer. And that's normal. And I think sometimes we freak out because we think there's something wrong with us or that we've done something wrong or God has left us or abandoned us. And then we try and find quick fixes for it. This is sometimes where we can get to a place where we're like, you know, we just need a church hop. I need to find a different church that's not, because this one's not feeding me. Or maybe I just need to read more uh, books. I need to find like the right spiritual guru and, and that, will, that, will, that will make me feel spiritual again. Or maybe, right, or maybe I need to go to conferences. I need to find, you know, this, I need to go to these retreats and have these spiritual highs. The thing that I found myself doing, the thing where I got into this place where I was, you know, I felt distant from God, and, and no joke, this is what I used to do. I used to get up in the morning, and I would pull up podcasts. I would pull up, like, all my favorite preachers, and then I would scroll through them, and I would look for the sermon that I knew was going to make me feel the worst about myself. I used to look and I used to see, okay, this one, like this one, he's going to yell at me. I'm going to feel really lousy about myself after this. Because I had begun to confuse guilt and shame with a sense of spirituality. I'd begun to think that like, unless I thought I was a terrible person, I wasn't feeling spiritual. Because I was trying to continually have this come to Jesus moment over and over again. When Christ was saying, Luke, you're already mine. You're no longer defined by that. Stop living in your past. I've forgiven you. When my son died on the cross and he said it was finished. Now, conviction's part of Christian preaching. Absolutely. But so is encouraging. So is building up. So is training in righteousness. And I was confusing a sense of living in shame for a sense of feeling spiritual. And so if, if, if this sense of God feeling distant isn't necessarily an indicator of something wrong in our heart, what is God doing? I want to say that when God feels distance, he is still present and working. He's just doing something different. When God feels distant, he's still there. God has not abandoned you. Like Cameron talked about last week, Christ is standing with you in the storm. He's saying, keep your eyes on me. I'm still here. I'm still present. He's just doing something different. He's just forming you in a new way. Right? This is uh, commonly called in church history, there's books written on this. This is called experiencing a dark night of, a soul, of the soul. This is where for no fault of your own, you're not, this, I'm not talking about when you're just not coming to church or you're, you're running from God I'm talking about where you're, you're, you're trying to be faithful, but God just still feels distant. You're going through a difficult place. This is God doing something different. He's forming you. He's shaping you in a new way. Again, I want to just iterate again how common this is. Maybe you've read the books of the Chronicles of Narnia or anything else by C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis was this apologist, this Christian writer who just was a defender of the faith, and, and he preached, and he has this big, colossal giant of the faith. And I want to read for you a quote from him. This is him in, in, in one of his personal reflections, and this is something he said as he was wrestling with the death of his wife. He says, but go to him, talking about God, he says, but go to him when your need is desperate, 
When all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of a bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic that silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might as well be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed to be so once. It's a pretty raw expression right there. And it, and it mirrors what the psalmist is saying in 42. He says, my tears have been my food. And people mock me and say, where's your God? Because it doesn't look like he's there. And what this psalmist is saying and what I'm saying is God is still there. God's with you in that darkness. Right? And I know I can say this is true and I know that there are others of you who can say that this is true in this room. Where there have been things that you've walked through that you never, if you were given the choice, you were like, I would have never gone down that path. If I could have chose, I would have never experienced this. If I could have avoided this pain, I absolutely would have. But now you're on the other side of it, and God's done something in your heart. God has given you a faith, a sturdiness that you didn't have before. He's wrought something in your soul that has transformed you, and, and you wouldn't trade that. I know that is the testimony of many of you in this room. Because when God feels distant, he's still there. He's still working. He's just doing something different. He's, re- he's, he's forming something. He's forging something that is so precious. And so here we have, again, the psalmist. He's feeling distant from God. And then, and so before I move on from that, just what do we do in those moments? What do we do? How, if God feels distant, how can we, how can we interact with him? And, and my, my encouragement for you, if you feel like God is distant in your life, I would just encourage you to sit in some silence. To just wait upon the Lord. And to be honest with others around you. Say, you know what, when I pray, I, I don't feel like God's there. I feel like I'm just talking into the ceiling. Bring along those friends, those people in your community and say, this is how I'm feeling. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray when I don't feel like I can. And let us support one another like that. So God feels distant for the psalmist. And then in this second part, he feels overwhelmed. He feels these doubts are crashing upon him. Right As deep calls the deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Down in verse 9, he says, listen to what he's saying. He says, to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer more to agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me, where is your God? He's feeling overwhelmed by doubts. He has these questions that are rolling up in his, in his heart. And he doesn't, these are questions that like, you know, hard to bring up in a small group. Hard to bring up in casual conversation when somebody asks how you're doing. Are these even questions that are, he's even allowed to ask? 
And there's something here, there's a truth that I just, I, I want to state so clearly because it's, it, it, it's counter to the, our, our natural inclination. And it is this, that God would rather have you wrestle with him than walk away from him. God would rather have you bring all of those doubts, all of that trouble, all of those confusions to him and wrestle with him and be honest with him than just to throw up your hands and walk away. Because every single time, if you, if you forfeit the fight with your doubt, doubt will always win. If you just quit, if you just throw up and you say, this is too much, I don't want to deal with this, your doubt will win. I don't want to admit that I have doubt. I don't want to admit that my faith is struggling. Well, then your faith will lose. God would always rather have you come near to him, be honest with him, and wrestle with him than simply to walk away from him. That is the truth. That's how Christ interacted with Thomas, right? Thomas, who had doubted Jesus, he said, surely Jesus didn't come back from the dead. I won't believe it unless I can come and I can stick my hands through his holes in his hands. How does Jesus respond when he sees Thomas? He doesn't yell at him. He says, come here, Thomas. Come, touch me, feel me. He beckons him closer. God doesn't get of inviting us close to know him. He doesn't get tired of reaffirming his goodness and his comfort. God invites us in. And so that's what I would, I would just so encourage you. To, to not just throw up your hands. And that, that, that's such a, such a lie. Right? The moment we begin to feel doubt, we begin to beat ourselves up for it. We say, oh, I'm an awful Christian because I feel doubt. Because I'm just not sure right now. And, and, and that's just not true. That's just not it. Because you know what's true is that if you have doubt, that means there also exists faith. Right? For doubt to exist, there has to be faith in the first place. And God invites us, just like the man who came and fell before Jesus at his feet and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So should our prayer be. And so here the psalmist comes and he brings his questions to God. And then finally, he is feeling this, this misjudgment. He's feeling like wrong has been done to him. Look at verses 1 and 2 and 43. It says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause. Be the lawyer on my behalf against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God and my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Right? And I think this is, this is something that we, we sometimes miss when we talk about the gospel. And, and that is that God would have us, not, have us trust him not only as savior, but also as judge. He would not only have us trust him that he would save us from ourselves, but he's also the judge, he's also a healer for those things that have been done to us. And, and that's a hard place to be, Right? Because if somebody's done something to you, somebody's wronged you, something unjust has happened to you, you just want to hang on to it. You just want to swallow that bitterness because you're never going to get that forgiveness. You're never going to get that resolution that you so want, that you so need. You're never going to be vindicated in front of the people who don't know how you suffered, don't know how they hurt you or the pain that they caused. 
And God would say, come near. That's a, that's a weight that you don't need to carry. Because I am righteous and I will judge. That pain that was done to you, I will handle that. And so God wants us to come near and he wants to lift off the weight of injustice and pains and hurts that have been done to us. And then he wants to immediately point us to his son. Right? We come into the throne room to meet the God, the creator of the universe, and we find that he has scars just like us. We find that he's hurt just like us. We don't have a God who's far off and distant and unable to sympathize. We have a God who's able to say, me too. I've been hurt too. These are the wounds that I bore for you, and this is how I heal you. It's through my stripes, through my scars. And they will be there for eternity as a testament of how much he loves us, of how much he has gone to redeem and to heal us from our pains, from our wounds. God has healed us by his own scars. And that is why, that, 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 you know, that is leading into the point, right? That if we lean into God with our pain, he will bring about our joy in his glory. Right? And, and that's, what we've been, that's what we've been talking about. Right? And I don't know what your pain is today. I'm 100% confident that there's pain in the room. Right? Like, you just go anywhere. Talk to any group of people, and there are hurts that are either fresh or new or old. Scars, scabs. I don't know if you're feeling the weight of anxiety I don't know if you're feeling the oppression of depression, that if just getting out of bed today was a victory for you. I don't know if you're dealing with a hurt that, that you're just not going to be able to get forgiveness for, that, so, that you're never going to get that person to apologize. I don't know if you're dealing with the loss of someone, the emptiness of a chair. I don't know what that pain is, but God invites you to come near. And a lot of times, our, our desire is to avoid it, is, is, is to move away from it, is to hide it under the rug, pretend that it's not there. But the truth of the matter is, is that God wants to meet you in that pain and transform you through it. And, and that, this is a truth that is, is so hard to swallow, but I, I find it to, again and again to be true. That thing that you don't want to talk about, that place you don't want to go, that thing you don't want to do is the thing that you most need healed. It's the thing that you most need to experience God's compassion, love, and grace through. It's the place where you need to bring it. You, we, we are so tempted to just clean ourselves up and leave it outside the door when we come to church. But whatever that thing is that you feel like you need to leave outside the doors here is the thing you most desperately need to bring here. Because God wants to be the healing physician. He's a good and loving God. And just like a doctor, just like if you've broken your bone and, and it's beginning to grow back wrong and you're going to have a limp or you're not going to be able to use your arm or your limb correctly, a good doctor is not going to say, okay, well, just let it grow back bad. No, he's going to re-break that bone, and he's going to set it right, because that's what a good doctor would do. And that's what God is inviting. He says, I know that this is hard. I know that this is painful, that there's a darkness. There's things that you don't want to talk about, and you don't want to go through, and you don't want to wrestle with. 
but I'm good. Can you trust that I'm healing you? Can you trust that I'm standing here with you, that I too can sympathize, that I too have broken bones, that I have scars that match yours? And so we've talked about this point, leaning into God for pain, and that's the point we've made. But, but then how does it come about to joy and glory? Right? How does that transformation happen? How, where, where's, what's in the in-between? How does it change? And so I want, to, I want to talk about this process because it's a process. I, I don't want to give you three steps because then I, I, I'm afraid that you'll think that, this, that these, are, oh, these are three things that I need to say or do. It's a lever I need to pull and out of the black box will come. Just I'll just be happy Christian. Right? And that's, that's just not it. So I want to talk about three sort of, we'll call them way stations, three stops on the journey towards healing. And, and each of these places are places you're going to have to go back to again and again. But each time you stop there, you'll find that you're closer to that destination. You're closer to that place of healing and transformation. And so those three stops, those three places that we stop at, that we participate in, in our journey to healing, is that first, we bring it all. Two, is that we orient ourselves to truth, and then we take the next step. We bring it all, we orient to truth, and then we take the next step. So bring it all. What do I mean by that? It's, it's what I've been saying this entire time, is that God invites you to bring it all, to come as you are, to bring your pain to come near and know that he is good. And then the second thing is to orient to truth. And I, I want to pause here to highlight something that we can get into a, a bad spot anytime we start talking about like this need to orient to truth. Because we need to open the Bible. We need to be oriented to God's truth. But sometimes our temptation is, is to take truth and our feelings and make them opposed to one another. It's to say that my feelings are wrong. I shouldn't feel this way. This isn't my experience because this is true. And that's not what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is fully expressing his emotions and also reminding himself of truth. Right? Just because something is true doesn't mean that you can't feel this way right now. It just means that you won't feel that way forever. Because it's hard when you're experiencing pain to, to, to praise the Lord, to trust that he's in good. Good, I, God, I don't feel it. And that's okay because the psalmist doesn't. Because he's asking those questions. But he's reminding himself all the same. He's saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to be patient because I know that this isn't forever. I know that these feelings don't last forever. And so I want us to not put those in contest. We need to be able to bring our feelings, bring our experience to God, and then let him slowly transform it by his truth. And so we need to be reminded. This is what the psalmist is doing over and over again in this psalm. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember, he's remembering himself. He's reminding that as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, and under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joys and praise among the festive throng. 
And then in verse 8, he says, By day the Lord directs his love, and night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Right? He's saying, this is who the Lord is. This is how he cares for me. In verse 3 of 43, he says, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place you, where you dwell. He's saying, God, I trust you that you will lead me through this. That there is, a, there is an end to this darkness. And then again, at the end of, verse, of chapter 43, there is that refrain that he says over and over again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why am I at turmoil? Why so disturbed at me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Notice he ends in process. Notice he says, yet I will praise. I don't have praise yet, but I will. Right? That, 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 that it's coming. Because I know that you're good. I know that you're with me. And I know this isn't the end of the journey. This isn't the end of the story. He's orienting himself. He's saying, I'm not there yet, but that's where I'm going. And then the last thing is to take the next step. And, and I don't know what that next step is. That next step just might be opening up to someone you trust. Just saying, this is what I'm carrying around and I don't want to admit is here. It might just be, you know what, God? I, I don't feel like I can pray, but I, but I can sit in silence and wait for you for a minute or two. It, it, whatever that next step is, and it doesn't have to be the... Sometimes when we think about moving forward, we think about taking these giant leaps. We want to get to the end as soon as possible. And when we do that, we discourage ourselves because we don't have the stamina to get there yet. But God is just saying, I, I'm right here with you. You take as big of a step forward as you can. And that just might be a baby step. That just might be one thing this week, of one way of moving forward. And he's there for it. Uh, one other point is that I think, I think we're, we're tempted to, to ignore those pieces of ourselves that are broken that have pain, that have trauma. And, and, and when we ignore those, right, when we leave them outside the door, when we don't bring them close, we're leaving part of ourselves behind. And God can't transform that part of, our, of ourselves if we don't bring it to him. God can't heal what we're not bringing to him. Right? What is in the darkness can't be transformed by the light. Right? We need to bring it forward. And so I would just, again, encourage you that we do need to bring it all and that we need to let the truth confront it. So as I was thinking about, like, how do I put flesh on this? Like, these are all some great and impassioned ideas, and it's what the text is saying, but what does it look like? And the best way I know how to tell you what it looks like is just to share a little bit about my story, a little bit about who I am. And this is something I try and share openly. It's something I try and talk about when appropriate because I think it is helpful for me and for others to know, right? And that is that, like, I have struggled with depression for a very long time. And, and when I say depression, I don't mean sort of like I feel blue. I mean, like, clinical depression. There have been days where it was all I could do to get out of bed and take a shower, there's been days where I have wrestled with myself and I've wrestled with not wanting to be here. 
I have been there. It is an ongoing thing for myself. I've been in counseling now for over two years. Um, I've sought to integrate medication to work with the work and progress that I'm making in counseling. It is something that I'm dealing with. And there was a time where I was just at a pretty low spot. I was, I was in a place, you know, the best way I know how to describe depression is that it is this persistent negative view of the self, the surroundings, and your future. And it doesn't have to make logical sense. It is just this, it's, I can't see how I'm not a terrible, weak person. I can't see how these situations around me are, are not the worst that they could be. And I can't see a positive outcome in the future. And no matter what you do, no matter what people tell you, you just can't break that. And I was at a place like that. I was a place where I was just spiraling. I was down. I was hurting. And I was in a friend's kitchen. One of the things I think is that, you know where I think true community happens? It's not at a dinner table, it's at the kitchen counter. Um, and so I was there, and I was just telling this friend, I was like, this is where I'm at. I just want to quit. And he, he just sat there and he listened. He saw all of my pain. And this was a good friend, and, and we had studied the Psalms together. We had talked about lament. And he, he reached over and he pulled out a yellow legal pad and put a pen and he set it in front of me and he said, Luke, you know what you need to do? You need to write a lament. And so there, late at night, in his kitchen, at his kitchen counter, I wrote out a prayer to God, just laying it all out. This is what's going on. This is how I feel right now. This is how I, I'm struggling to be faithful to you. And then he, he also, he took a piece of paper and he wrote a lament also for me on my behalf. And he's like, let's just take the next step. Let's just figure out what do you need to do tomorrow? How can you move forward? And, and, and I say that, right, because, because this, is, this is all of us. This is our experience. I had a friend who came beside me who witnessed what I was going through. And then he was faithful enough to, to just press me forward and say, you, you need to talk to God about this. It's not enough to just talk to me, you need to talk to God about this. And then he just, he just gave me that reminder, he's like, this will not be the end of the story. This is not how it's going to be the rest of your life. And he pointed me forward. And, and, and why, like, why, I've wrestled with that question of, like, why, God? Why would I have to walk through these hard things? Why would you create in me this soul that just tends to just get depressed? And, and what I've found is that God is forming me prayerfully into a person who hopefully ministers with compassion, who someone who, who can listen to the hard things of life and, and, and not balk because I've been there. And, and I know that God has brought me through things so that I can be with those who are going through things right now. And so I stand as a witness, as a testimony to say that I'm not finished yet. It's not behind me in the rearview mirror. It's not miles behind me. I'm still working through it. But I'm in process and God's doing something. I can say that God is working in my life and that I have a song of praise on my lips. That God is good. That God is faithful and he's present, even when he doesn't feel like he's there. Even when I have mounting questions in my heart. 
Even when I feel like there are hurts and people who are enemies and those that are against me, God is still good and God will still bring me through it. Because th- this, you want to know how God transforms things? It- it's through the cross. It's through Jesus Christ. Because you know what? Before Jesus Christ rose up and ascended into heaven and sat at glory at the right hand of the Father, he had to go through a garden. He had to go through a trial, through a beating, through a crucifixion. He had to go through three days in the grave. And then he took with him through all of that, our pain, our suffering, our sin, our brokenness, and he put it to death with his own death. He turned the world upside down by becoming weak, by becoming humble, by bringing pain and experiencing it, he showed that he was more powerful than it. And that's how God transforms our pain. That's how he transforms us. Because you know what was on the lips of our Savior as he was on the cross? Was a psalm of lament. He, he quoted Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a Savior who is not, who is not foreign to us, who has a body like ours. And, and, and he brought to himself pain and suffering so that he could transform it. God brings about joy and glory through the cross. And that is, that is, that is what it is to be a Christian, to follow after Jesus, is to, is to be crucified with him, to say by faith, his death and his resurrection belong to me, and that newness of life is something I'm living into now and will be forever. That is the gospel. And so when God, God call, is calling you close, God is saying, come near. He's saying, come near to me so that I can heal you, so that you can know me. Because not only are we being welcomed into the throne room, we're being welcomed into the throne room and finding that he's been waiting there for us, that we belong there, and that he wants to bring about a transformation. So as we're closing out today, I just want to invite you, because I don't know where you're at in your journey, know how fresh these wounds are, where your pain is at, but I want to invite you to bring it to God. I want to invite you to lean in and, 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 and wherever you're at and let him meet you with it. And so we're going we're gonna to close out our service with some worship, and I'm going to open up this, this area up front, these altars, and if, and if you need to take a next step, let that next step just be coming forward and praying. And if you want prayer, if you want to be prayed for, just come on right over here up at the left here. And and Cameron or I or somebody else, we will pray for you. And we want to be there as witnesses and encourage you and orient you towards truth and be about helping you take that next step. And so I want to encourage you to lean into God today, wherever you're at, and let him meet you, let him transform you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you as people who carry a large, a wide variety of pain and hurt and brokenness and baggage. Lord, we come to you as people in desperate need of you. 
Lord, we come and we take comfort in the words that you said when you said that you came not to heal the healthy but the sick. Lord, we come to you and we want to, our hearts cry out with whatever amount of faith we have right now. And we say, Lord, we want to know you. Lord, we want to come closer to you. Lord, I want you to meet us in that pain, in the place where we most desperately need you. Lord, we, we feel tender. Lord, we, we, we don't want to deal with it, Lord. But you beckon us close. And you patiently call us. Lord Jesus Christ, I, I just want to pray for everyone in this room. Anyone in this room who has a past hurt, current hurt, that they are just wrestling with. Anyone who's feeling like they, they can't trust you with it, Lord. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come close. Lord, that you would, that you would be that comforter and healer. That you would bring about the healing and transformation that no amount of preaching, no words can do, but only your spirit can do. Lord God, we surrender ourselves to you and we ask you to meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.